0: Welcome to the Discover You Podcast, where we take a deep dive into who you are and why you do what you do. If you're ready to learn how to be a better you, you're in the right place. And now, the host of Discover You, James
1: Hooper. Well, welcome to the Discover You Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, James Hooper, and I'm so glad that you're joining us today. You're in for a special treat um, I'm actually sitting in the home of Lisa Caldwell, and she is a friend of ours, and uh, she's married to a longtime friend of mine, uh, John Mark Caldwell. But I wanted to spend some time with her and let you hear her story. I, I believe it's going to be something that will inspire you, something that's interesting. I actually just learned a lot about her story just in the last week or so, That's so why I wanted to sit down with her, and of course you guys watching on YouTube, it's a... Uh, good to see you on there and glad you're with us this is the first time i've ever done the video portion so let me know what you think in the comments and that sort of thing so lisa welcome to the podcast thank you so much i'm so glad that you decided to join us so we um were together last week me and sharon and you and john mark and rich and tanya were together last week you guys came down to san marcus and I learned something about you that I didn't know. But before we get to that, let's go back a little bit, as far back as you want to go, to kind of give us some history. You know, like where you're from, that sort of thing, because people like to know all they can about. Okay.
0: Um, I was actually born in Texas, uh, but shortly thereafter, when I was about a year old, my family moved to Ohio, and I was raised there. Uh, Moved back to Texas in the middle of my junior year of high school, no problems with that, right? Moving right in the middle of your junior year. <laughs> but, um, so, have been in Texas ever since then. Okay. And, really, I mean, I consider myself a native Texan. Well, born, here born here, left, here, came hey, back, but, yeah. Yeah, you yeah.
1: defected for a while, but then you right, okay. right, right, Not <laughs> willingly. only. So, we're glad to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so, you. Um, so you went to high school mm-hmm. in, uh, you said in Rockwall? I actually went to high school in Mesquite, in
0: Mesquite. Texas. Okay, in Mesquite. So, a little small suburb outside of Dallas. Right. And um, you know, James, I did not have the privilege of being raised in a Christian family. Uh, my father was an an alcoholic. He was abusive uh, to my mother and my child and my uh, brothers and sisters. Um, and I think my mother um, she spent most of her time just trying to stay out of my dad's way. You know, mm-hmm. not agitate yeah. that. So it was a it was a very difficult upbringing. Um, there wasn't a lot of love in the home. You know, I, I can't remember as a little girl, you know, my mother ever just like coming and hugging me and, you know, telling me that she loved me. It just wasn't um, anything that we did. There wasn't a lot of affection there. So it wasn't surprising that as a junior in high school, just moving, um, I was searching mm-hmm. for someone to care for me. And I found that <laughs> somewhat yeah. in the form of a high school boy. hmm and um, it wasn't too long into that relationship that it got physical. And before long, uh, I discovered that I was pregnant.
1: Mm. Wow. That's, <clears throat> uh, that's kind of something that just not really comes across your radar is what's going to happen with your life. Exactly. Um, and, and it was because you were searching. I mean, a lot of times we find comfort. We find uh, solace. We find ourselves recognized by people that, um, and he, you know, he was a high school kid. He was a high school boy. I was a high school boy. And I noticed right. like to be a high school boy. Right. Uh, so things kind of transpire and happen in our lives and we find ourselves in situations. So how did, um, how did you react initially once you found that out?
0: Well, um, I mean, obviously I was very upset. I can't say that I was necessarily shocked or surprised, right. you know, when you do certain things, you tend to get certain results. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had discussions, uh, my, this boy and I, my boyfriend and I, and really there wasn't a lot of options that we even considered. Um, I did not, of course, speak with my parents. I did not speak with a school counselor. He did not speak with his parents. We really got counsel from no adults. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not have a church home to go and speak with someone there, a Sunday school teacher or a pastor. So, um, what I did is what most high school girls do: you talk to some of your friends.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I came to the decision that um, having a baby at that point in my life was not something that I could handle, and um, I chose I chose abortion. Mm.
1: So when we're in high school we make we can make decisions. And a lot of times I, I find it interesting that people, you know, say kids that age, you know, you were what, seventeen? Seventeen. Seventeen at that time, you know, eighteens considering an adult, mm-hmm. you know, we still don't think correctly. We don't and right. especially when we're getting advice from from peers. Uh, I know myself growing up that my whole uh, viewpoint of of sex and everything was built by my peers, mm-hmm. uh, exactly. so it wasn't given to me in any way. So the way I looked at it was uh, tainted. So you decided to go ahead and, and get an abortion. You thought that was the logical thing I thought to do. That was
0: the practical. You being a grown up about it. Exactly. Seventeen years old. I could make that decision on my own. Um, I believe we. Um, I had had a couple girlfriends that had been in the same situation mm-hmm. and had made the exact same choice. Um, Believe it or not, I think we kind of called around and got the best price (laughs) (laughs) to um, take care of that. And in 1979, the price of a life was $125. Wow. Now, I didn't have $125, but I was a graduating senior at the time, so I used my graduation money Mm. and also a diamond ring that my mother had given me on my birthday, Mm. my 16th birthday. It was my sweet 16 present. And I pawned it hmm. to get the balance of the money. And um, So did you ever tell something. your
1: parents what was going on? Um,
0: no, my parents, my mother did not learn of it until uh, 17 years later.
1: So you didn't have to get parental consent back No, then.
0: no. State of Texas in 1979, there was no parental consent needed. Okay. Uh, my boyfriend drove me. I mean, we filled out all of the paperwork. Interestingly enough, he... The day of, he dropped me off and he went to lunch <laughs> and then came back and got me. But um, no, Mm-mm. The, on- the only adult counsel that I received at that point was from the people that worked at the clinic. Right, right. And of course, their advice was, we'll take care of this. Right. We'll take care of it and you can move past it and get on with your life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I anticipated
1: you know, going to those sources, it's kind of like going to a bankruptcy mm-hmm. attorney asking financial advice, exactly. you know, so it's exactly. like, you're going to get a one, one-sided view and, um, uh, that sort of thing, but you were handling mm-hmm. it. You were taking care, of it. Taking care of it. And, uh, so the day of he dropped you off, he goes to have lunch mm-hmm. and you go in and was it, did yeah. they handle it?
0: Um, you know, I mean, it was, it was a professional environment. I can remember being, of course, a young girl in a waiting room full of other young girls. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really recall there being any other adults in there at that point or, you know, older women, but, um, you know, we went back, we took care of the, the procedure was taken care of. Um, you know, I don't want to go into all the details, but, but I do remember, um, in the middle of the procedure. I was awake during the procedure because $125 only brought you so much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you, you didn't get the, the, um, the four star Mm -hmm. abortion package. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can remember, um, feeling a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain during the procedure and, and vocalizing that. Yeah. And the nurse standing behind me kind of put her hands on my shoulders and, and just said, lie still. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, a, I mean, the procedure itself is, I mean, it doesn't take very long um, yeah. to take care of that. Right. And then they moved me into a recovery room. And what I remember about that is they give you juice and animal crackers mm. in the recovery room. And I look back on that now and I thought, what a bizarre choice yeah. of, some, you know, animal crackers, which are a childish, mm-hmm. childhood thing. Right. And that's what they chose to give you in the recovery Right. So.
1: So what were you f- feeling besides the discomfort? Were you feeling anything at all? You thought you were just doing what you needed no, to do? No,
0: I'm going to have to be honest. And my first reaction once that was over was relief. Yeah. It was, that's done with. Nobody has to know. Mm-hmm. And I can move on. Right. So.
1: So you go about and you graduate high school.
0: I graduate high school. Actually, married the boy. Okay. Uh, my boyfriend. Um, we were um, married for uh, seven years. Um, not surprising that marriage did not work out. Mm-hmm. Um, as I progressed and as I got older and more mature, I started that relief faded away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I began to feel guilty. I began to feel resentment towards my husband. And not that it was his decision, because it wasn't. I mean, we made it together, but it was certainly Mm -hmm. my choice. But really what I I think the resentment that I had towards him was that he didn't do anything to stop me. Right. Um, I think as women deep down what we all want is for our husband Mm -hmm. to be our white knight and our protector and step in and take care of us. And just the fact that he did not do that Mm -hmm. and said, okay, whatever you want to do. um, I resented that. And then that resentment turned to anger. And then eventually that anger turned to something akin to hatred. Yeah. And um, so that marriage ended in divorce.
1: So were there any other children with that marriage?
0: Um, I do. I have a son. Um, uh, Andrew. Okay. So yes, okay. we did have a child and it was interesting. I always kind of thought of that child as, you know, the atonement child a little yeah. bit, you know, yeah. trying to make up for that.
1: Yeah. But, so at what point did you <clears throat> start having some emotional things about the, the abortion mm-hmm. you started having some regrets um, or what certainly have
0: Certainly when I was pregnant with my son, you know, that all kind of came back.
1: How far? Um, how long, long was that?
0: But I dealt with about three or four years. About three or four years. But you know, I dealt with that. I was able to just stuff it down. Right. And what you need to to realize is that when you've chosen that path, the advice that you get from the so-called experts at the mm-hmm. clinic are to forget it. Right. Don't talk about it. Don't think right. about it. You just move on with your life and do what you need to do. It's done.
1: Taken care it's of. It's done. Okay. It's gone.
0: So you don't. Um, you know, I, I never told anyone. No one and that just builds inside of you mm. it builds and it builds and and it it creates this this vacuum within you right. and of course we all know nature doesn't like a vacuum right. so you start trying to fill it with other things mm-hmm. it's very common for women who've had an abortion to abuse drugs or to abuse alcohol or to be you know have um, sexual addictions or or other things that they use to try to fill that hole yeah so, I mean, I just, that entire marriage was really kind of filled with, um, a lot of bitterness and mm-hmm. a lot of resentment.
1: Okay. All right. But were you, were you going about a career at this time too? was
0: building my career and just doing, you know, building a life, right. just really trying to put it behind me. Mm-hmm. And you can do that until, you know, there's certain things that trigger mm-hmm. the, the, um, event. Um, when you see a child that's about the same age as the child, you know, mm-hmm. when you um, you run into pregnant women, you know, that, that bothers you. Um, one of the things that really bothered me is you would see a pro-life bumper sticker mm-hmm. or as we would come to Dallas, we'd drive to Dallas and you'd see, you know, some uh, people outside of an abortion clinic holding up some protest signs because that just fills you right. with guilt. Right. That even if you were in a position where you thought that you could be pro life at that point. You don't you can't do that. You yeah. can't be pro life because right. look at what you've done. Right. So it just kind of fills you with guilt.
1: Let <laughs> me let's let's camp here for a little bit because mm-hmm. I have my whole value system is Jesus never carried a picket sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus Jesus never protested anything. He loved people. Mm -hmm. And so my whole point is a lot of times people think, well, this is an injustice. This is something this is. And they take it. It is a Christian issue, but it's actually a a human issue. Mm -hmm. But people take and and they spew hatred through signs and all this kind of stuff. And these girls are 15, 16, 17 coming. Right. And they're already had this traumatic event in their life and they're having to deal with that and they have to go through this whole line of people that are basically hating on them and telling them God hates them. Did, did that ever... Did you um, see I did that? not
0: have that experience when I um, went to the clinic that day. No, there was no one there. But um, but know, when
1: you drive by and saw the signs? When I would drive
0: by and, si- and see those signs, um, yeah, I mean, you're just filled with guilt. Right. And and then that guilt manif- manifests itself into, well, I had the right to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, you buy into the pro-choice argument. Right. And we could talk about that all day long, yeah. let me tell you. but um, And now I look at that, and I have to think, not the protesters, because... I'm not going to criticize those people. They're doing what they think is the best thing to do. Now, do I think they need to be out there shouting hate towards mm-hmm. those girls? Absolutely not. Right. They need to be showing those girls love. Right. And I now know the reason when they're out there, like with the ugly signs, you know, mm-hmm. that's a that's the in-your-face reality of what an abortion is. Right. And so as long as we call it uh, abortion or we call it, you know, eliminating, um, uterine contents. We don't, you know, we don't, when you get to that abortion clinic, the word baby is never oh, yeah. spoken, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> never. Yeah. And so they call it by other terms. So you don't realize that mm-hmm. it's a baby. And, but that's why those protesters are out there with those ugly signs, because they want you to see the reality of what you're doing. Right. Um, but do I think that they should be out there, you know, with shouting angry words and, um, you know, sh- making these girls feel more guilty and, and accusing them. No, I
1: don't. Right.
0: No, I think there's a better way.
1: Right. Okay. So moving on from there, you, so you have, you're building a career, you have a, a son, mm-hmm. your marriage comes to an end, your first marriage comes to an yes. end. So I'm, I'm assuming that all throughout this time, now I've, Not to my my knowledge, I've never known anybody that's had an abortion. That's why I really wanted to do this, because I'm very curious. let me just share a statistic
0: with you. One in four women. Okay. Okay? And that's one in four women that are Christian women, one in four women that are non-Christian women. Mm -hmm. There is, interestingly enough, there's no difference in the
1: statistic. Okay. All right. So... Oh, that's why I said to my right. knowledge. But they don't my walk knowledge.
0: around, right. you know, right. <laughs> telling people. Um, I have shared before that sometimes you feel like you're walking around with the big red A oh, yeah. <laughs> on you mm-hmm. because you feel like everybody knows. Yeah. if you're, Especially if you happen to be in a conversation that turns to that, mm-hmm. because I would just sit there remaining totally silent. And you, you know, you're afraid to say anything. You don't know what to do. But you certainly
1: feel like everyone knows. That's the that's kind of the the trick of the enemy is shame. Absolutely, shame causes you to it hinders you from becoming who you're mm-hmm. meant to be. and Holds you back from your promise and your future and that sort of thing. So he wants to keep you like that. And so mm-hmm. as long as you can tell yourself, listen, nobody needs to know. I'll just I'll just keep this to myself. But there's a whole shame thing going on. Absolutely. I'll try not to preach here because <laughs> uh, I hate shame and stuff like that.
0: I remarried okay um, not too long after my divorce, I was remarried and um, so it was a good marriage. We were um, doing fine and one we had started actually attending church where my sister it was a Galloway Avenue Baptist Church in Mesquite, Texas. and when I say attending we were attending the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. We were showing up for fall festival right We were. Um, doing spring fling, mm-hmm. we were you know that kind of events. We weren't really going to church service, yeah. but I can remember it was a Saturday in October, and we had just concluded the fall festival, mm-hmm. and we were a big active part of that. And our pastor kind of called me off the side and he said, "I really would like to see you in church tomorrow." Right. You know, and I and I verbalized, I, I said to him, "Well." If Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. You know, there's there's plenty of time for that. Yeah. You know, we're just kind of dipping our toe in the water.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's you know, there's time.
1: Right.
0: And um, the next day I was a vice president of a property management company. I was in Corpus Christi on a business trip. Got a phone call that my wow. alcoholic abusive father had dropped dead on the kitchen floor. Mm. And the very first thing I thought of Was my words from the day before, saying, "Got plenty of time. Mm. Let's let's not, you know, get ahead of ourselves." Wow! And it was the death of my father that brought me to the the saving grace
1: of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um. So then you had Andrew, Mm -hmm. and then you had your daughter, right? Um,
0: Well, not yet. I had.
1: So you, you didn't had, have any other children no, when you started going to church? Okay. Um, okay. But I I'm had, trying to get the t- that's okay. keep, keep the timeline going. That's okay. Wrong. I
0: had come to this salvation experience. Okay. Um, we became very active in church. How did that
1: happen? How did that come about, the salvation experience?
0: It was literally, you know, my, we were in the process of burying my father. Mm. And I could see this church. My father was buried in Sherman, Texas. Okay. And this church from Mesquite, Texas, came out, and they just poured love over us, all of us.
1: And you weren't even and attending. wasn't attending. even
0: attending there. Yeah. Um, but my sister attended there. Wow. And okay. so it just overflowed onto mm-hmm. every single member yeah. of the family. And maybe that was that love that I had been searching for mm-hmm. for so long. Yeah. Because it was so real. And I just wanted a piece of that. Right. I wanted some of that.
1: Right.
0: And uh, my sister actually led me to Christ. Oh, and, that's awesome. And it was right, you know, in the days following my father's death. And even though we were going through all that turmoil and all that pain, I can remember just having a peace about it all. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: there was my father, you know, laying 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 in the casket dead, and I just I had this peace mm. that it was it was okay. Yeah. And uh, so that's you know how that happened.
1: Oh, that's that's mm-hmm. awesome. In the Romans it says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance, and a lot of times when you love people through stuff, it really it allows the spirit to speak to yeah. them and I to do a work that. in their life. So that. that's awesome. You had your salvation experience. Mm-hmm. You start mm-hmm. attending the church mm-hmm. regularly.
0: We became very active in the church. Um, in fact, over the course of you know several years, I was actually on staff at the church as okay. the church secretary and the nursery and preschool director. Oh, wow. Um, My husband and I became actively trying um, to have another child. Took um, a while, took about two years, but um, I was finally pregnant and I was so excited and so happy for that. But throughout the entire pregnancy, you know, the one thing you can say about Satan, good thing is he does his job
1: well. Yeah, (laughs) he's persistent.
0: And so I was continually tormented you know, with guilt right. and 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 shame. Had you and, told your husband about it? Um, my husband did not know okay. at that time. And I was just overwhelmed with that to the point where I couldn't even embrace the joy mm. of the pregnancy. At the same time that we were preparing for the birth of our daughter,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I was also preparing for the death of my daughter. Mm. Because in my mind... God was going to punish me. Oh, wow. He was going to take this child that we had, you know, prayed for and longed for. And he was going to take her Mm -hmm. because you didn't deserve that. Right. Look what you did. Mm -hmm. And, you know.
1: Hey, guys, I just wanted to break away for a quick moment to remind you there are two different ways that you can actually help sponsor this podcast. Number one, you can go to the website for the book, the Discover You book, and the website is discoveryou-book.com, discoveryou-book.com. There's a link that will send you to Amazon, and for $9.99, you can have your very own copy. Secondly, in the description of this podcast, there is a link that you can click where you can go and set up a monthly monetary donation. Any amount would be great. Any amount would help us So please consider sponsoring and help joining those that are already supporting us. I appreciate you guys for listening. And now back to the episode.
0: Thanks for listening to Discover You with James Hooper. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you like to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter at discoverupod or you can email us at discoverupod at gmail.com. Discover who you were meant to be. We made it through the pregnancy and my daughter's born. Her name's Hannah and we named her, you know, from the story Hello. of the Bible. And the most beautiful little baby girl. And again, I was just consumed with guilt. I I, I didn't know how to deal with it. I suffered terrible postpartum depression to the point where I would just sit in the bathtub and cry. Mm. And my husband would come and he'd say, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you have this baby. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And I just couldn't come to grips with it. Mm. And then it was a, um, she was six months old and it was January and the Baptist, um, church celebrates Sanctity of Life Sunday okay. in January every Sunday. And our church made a big deal out of that. Now, my sister was one of those women that would go out and pick it mm-hmm. and do that kind of thing. Uh, she did not know my yeah. I passed. And we were celebrating Sanctity of Life Sunday. And part of the service was someone had gone through the nursery and had taken all these pictures of all the babies and the children and they were playing a special song. It was, uh, you are a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And you know, on the big screen in the sanctuary was all these pictures of these babies flashing. And I saw my baby, mm-hmm. I saw my beautiful, you know, six month old baby girl and she was so beautiful and so precious. And the whole time I, I can recall it like it was yesterday, I was sitting in the pew and it's almost like Satan was over here saying, you don't deserve her. Right. You can never be a good mother to her. How can you be a loving, caring mother to this child when this is what you did mm-hmm. to your first child? And at the same time, I could feel, I could hear someone whispering in my ear saying, it's okay.
1: Yeah,
0: I, It's okay. Mm-hmm. And... I was sitting in the pew and I'm sure I had this death grip on, on the pew in front of me and they were having an invitation and you know, if, if you need some help with this or if you want to come down for prayer and I recall sitting there saying nope, 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 don't need this don't need this don't, need this don't need this and when I opened my eyes I was down front on my knees <laughs> I have no idea I don't recall wow. getting down there but it was and it, it was that day that um, that I decided to let you know, the Lord helped me with it. And, you know, James, it's interesting. It's not throughout that entire time when I was active in church, after I was saved, I would pray for forgiveness over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But every time, it's like you would go to the cross and you would say, you know, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And you would lay it down. And then when you stood up, you'd say, okay, well, I need to pick this yeah. back up again. Yeah, I don't deserve and, it. So. Yeah. And every time that bag got heavier and heavier and heavier. Yeah. And on that day, you know, Jesus, I, I think probably when I reached to pick it up, he went, you've had enough. Yeah. And he picked it up for me. Yeah. And it was that day that I chose to, you know, to get some help.
1: Oh, awesome. So you were, um, so how did you let people know about it, Dan? I mean, uh, well,
0: I mean, I ended up, when I ended up down front on my knees, my sister came down.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: yeah. And I said, you know, to her, I said, I, I need help. I've, you know, I've had an abortion. I don't know how to deal with it. And she just, you know, my sister with the picket signs out at the clinics just grabbed me and hugged me and said, we're going to get you help. Right. And I kind of went, th- I went through a Bible study. She went with me and we went to a Bible study that helped me to identify what I was feeling. And what it was is I learned a new word and it was grief. Mm. That's what I was feeling. Right. Because when you've had an abortion, you don't have the right to grieve. Your child, mm-hmm. you made that decision. You did it. You can't turn around and then grieve. Right. So, and you know, when there's a loss in your life, grief is what helps you heal. Mm-hmm. It brings you through all of the anger and the bitterness, and it gets you to the other side. Well, if you don't allow yourself to grieve, you just stuff it and stuff it and stuff it. Right. And it's like um, I use an analogy of, you know, if you're taking out the trash. And you just tie up the trash bag and you throw it in the basement, you know eventually that trash is just the smell of that trash and the decay it's going to fill every room in your house. And that's what happens. Mm-hmm. If you don't deal with that loss,
1: yeah
0: it just consumes you. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went through this bottle study and I was able to to finally grieve my child and then deal with with the the shame and the guilt that I felt, the anger for my, myself, the anger towards everyone involved, my ex-husband, my mother, you know, who who had no knowledge right. of it. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that, that we didn't have the relationship that I wanted us to have, you know, um, my friends, um, everyone. And um, I was finally able to lay it all down. And I can remember the day specifically, standing in the sanctuary as part of this class, and confessing, and saying, you know, asking for forgiveness, and uh, and and feeling that forgiveness just rained down on me mm. like I was in a shower.
1: Oh, that's that's terrific. So, did, <clears throat> um, did was the congregation aware of what's going on, or was it? Um,
0: they were uh, yes, because okay. the um, because
1: of the nature of that specific yes, call. Okay.
0: Yes. Yes. And this church was again; um, it embraced. They called themselves a hospital, and they embraced people who were hurting and healing. Mm. And um, so, we later at another date, after I had was fully healed, and um, and was able to move past that, and and got to a place where I thought, okay, I'm now healed, but God didn't heal me just for me. Right. 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 I mean. God didn't die on the cross. He died specifically for me, but not just so I would keep it, not right. tell anyone. Mm-hmm. And um, so I began to help other women and um, and do that. But we had a, a Sunday, probably the next Sanctity of Life Sunday, where, you know, we asked for women who had had that same experience to come down, mm-hmm. come down and we're going to help you. And it was interesting. women got up from all areas of the church, mm. uh, from the piano, from the choir lot. Wow. I mean, it's amazing. Wow, what God's love can do.
1: So where uh, when did Sam come along? When was Sam?
0: Sam, um, I was. Um, let's see. Hannah was two years old, and okay. I found out that I was expecting again. Very excited. yeah, very thrilled, very yeah. excited. Um, but it was very early on in the pregnancy that there were some troubling signs. you know some of the early tests that the doctors just routinely do had come back, and mm-hmm. they were you know skewed. they were right. funny um, I instead of having a uh, two vessel umbilical cord, I had a three um, I had an overabundance of amniotic fluid. I mean there was just all these signs I was gestational diabetic. Mm-hmm. there was all these signs that there was something not quite right. right. Um, but we got through that pregnancy and the day Sam was born, um, and when I say an overabundance of amniotic food, Sam like splashed into the world, <laughs> but, um, I can remember being in labor and hearing the doctors and the nurses talk and the nurse like said, okay, you know, what's the name of her, you know, pediatrician or whatever. And the doctor said, this baby's going to the NICU. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knew, Yeah, he knew. Yeah. And um, sure enough, when Sam was born, he was absolutely lifeless. Mm -hmm. He was uh, gray. He had no muscle tone. You could pick up an an arm and it just flopped Mm -hmm. down. Uh, His head was enlarged. They thought maybe he had water on the brain. He wasn't. His kidneys weren't working. He wasn't breathing on his own. He was um, the brain function was sketchy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was just in really, really bad shape. And um, as I lay there in the, the, you know, the recovery room, they had taken him. I didn't even get to hold him. They took him straight off to the NICU. And I remember this doctor came in. Her name is Dr. Treen. We were at um, Medical City Hospital here in Dallas. And she came in my room and she like went, I could not be more concerned about this baby. You know, she starts ticking off right. everything. He's got this, he's got this, right. he's got this, he's got this. And she says, here's my advice to you. Get yourself a pad and paper. You start, a pad, pad and pen, and you start writing down the name of every doctor that's going to come in to see you because I'm fixing to send in brain specialists and neurologists and, and this and this and this. And she says, don't be expecting this baby to come home anytime soon. She says, he may not come home at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she, says, he's, she says, if you want to come down and see him before we put in a, a trache tube in a main line, You can come on down. She says, but you can't hold him. And sure enough, we went down there, and there was Sam just so sick, right? so sick. And um, I had—this was at 2 in the morning. And when Sam was born, someone called this pastor from Galloway Avenue Baptist Church in Mesquite, and he got in his car and he drove to the hospital Mm. at 2 in the morning. Wow. Wow. And when he found out the condition of Sam, he got on the phone, and he called— the deacons in the church, and he called the leaders in the church, and they, somebody went down and unlocked the church doors, and you know, and within about two hours, that sanctuary was full of Mm. people that were, were praying for us, and somewhat later in the morning, the nurse came, or the Dr. Treen, the head of the NICU, came back into the office, and she said, well, I don't know what's happened, but his kidneys are working, and he's breathing on his own. Right. <laughs> and this is working, and this is working. And we just were like, "Well, we know what happened. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> we know." So uh, last last week when we when we were talking, um, I had asked if you ever had the the option presented to you when you found out that Sam wasn't going to be born totally healthy uh, to have to abort him, and you told me that you had a. Pro-life we had, doctor or someone. We did.
0: Um, when I, the doctor that I chose, when I, after Hannah was born, I had this great doctor, but then, you know, I, I looked at things differently right. after that. And so when I found out that I was expecting Sam, I found a new doctor and intentionally, as I interviewed, I went and interviewed <laughs> doctors and I would ask them, so are you, are you a pro-life doctor or are you a pro-choice doctor? Mm-hmm. And this doctor was such a nice guy. I mean, I can I can remember going and talking to him, and the question I asked him was, do you perform abortions? Mm. And he, we were in his office, and he laid his pen down, and he went, no, I do not, and I will not refer you to one either. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, good answer. <laughs> but... Um, when we knew that there was something wrong, you know, because of the test results, he offered to do an amniocentesis. He said, not because I think you're going to make any other choice. Right. He said, but maybe you just want to be prepared.
1: Right.
0: But we even chose not to do that. Right. Because, um, that test also has a very high, um, rate of miscarriage associated with it. Mm-hmm. So we chose, no, we're just going to
1: pry through this. Right. and right. You know. It's so interesting that when you get, when you get, totally healed of something that it's it makes a mark on your soul and you you make sure from then on you make decisions based right. on that and That's so right. you said this is what's important to me I'm not going to go through that again it's not even going to be an option right. so let me just interview mm-hmm. the doctors and stuff right. okay so uh and Sam awesome awesome Sam's kid. an
0: awesome awesome kid I mean he's he's 22 years old now now is Sam quote-unquote, normal by the world's standards. No, he's not. Um, Sam was diagnosed with autism. He's very high-functioning, mm-hmm. autistic, but um, he's not absolutely perfect And uh, by the world's yeah. you know, standards. And interestingly enough, I had someone ask me, you know, after Sam was born, is, did I feel like Sam was my punishment mm. for doing, you know, for yeah. choosing abortion the first time? And, you know... My immediate response was, "Absolutely not." Sam is my gift. Mm-hmm. It's as if you know I went through all that healing. I went through all that pain to get to to where I was, and and the Lord, you know, convinced me that every single child is a gift. Right. Every child, no mm-hmm. matter what. And my my first child was a gift. I chose not to accept it, right. but it was still God's gift to right. me. And so it was as if. You know, God was telling me, I know you, you know this. I've told you, every child's a gift and you believe it, but I'm going to give you the most special one of all. Mm. And uh,
1: he brought us Sam. Oh, that's awesome. And then you also had a, another. And then Levi,
0: Levi came around came along after two him. years later. Yeah, a uh, phenomenal young man. Perfect, wonderful, wonderful guy.
1: Mm. So you had a heart to help people that had been through what you've done. Right. And you did more than what? I consider most people would do, you actually took it upon yourself to become a healer of people. Uh, not that we know Jesus as a healing, but, but he heals through us. And so you took, you took a, uh, a direction that a lot of people wouldn't. So talk Mm -hmm. a little, talk about that.
0: Well, you know, um, the verse says, you know, what, what. Man meant for evil, I'm gonna use for good. Right. And um, I just felt compelled to help other women. I wanted to do something. Right. And I didn't feel comfortable being the woman out there picketing. I, I didn't feel comfortable with that. Right. Because even in the best of circumstances and even when they're not shouting hatred, you will go there's a there was a group, um, Flip Benham, mm-hmm. who um, led a, a bunch of, you know, pro life people to go and, and stand at the clinics. And he would always say, who's ready, who's willing to get arrested today?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's not me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just not me. Right. So, um, God, he just pushed me. I mean, he said, okay, you've got your healing. This is what you can do. Mm-hmm. You can help women who are in your same position and show them the path to healing. Because, you know, I mean, as Christians, I hope we're all pro-life. I don't know that everyone is. Um, To me, the two go hand in hand together. But there's a lot of Christians out there that will say... It doesn't affect me. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't choose it, but I'm not going to tell someone else right. not to choose it. But as Christians, we should all take a strong pro-life stand. I mean, we need to be doing something about mm-hmm. what's going on right. in our world. We need to be voting pro-life. We mm-hmm. need to be vocal about pro-life. But to do that and not offer the hand of restoration to the women who have already chosen that path is just hypocritical to me. So I I started doing that. And it's interesting how, how God puts women in your path Mm -hmm. that you just don't know. I can, (laughs) um, together with my sister, we wrote a, um, a manual. It's a Bible study, um, kind of step by step, the path to healing. And,
1: just based on how you progress through. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes,
0: it is, and um, it's pretty specific because a the sin of abortion, it's just one of those that just gets a hold of you, and it's so hard to forgive those involved. Mm-hmm. It's harder still to accept God's forgiveness right. for yourself. Right. It's just really hard, and. So, yeah, this um, Bible study, it just takes you through the steps. It's a 10-week Bible study, and um, and, and we've been able to—we've been very blessed to um, help probably about 200 women mm. um, find um, God's forgiveness for that. And so mm-hmm.
1: you were able to implement this at, at the church you were attending mm-hmm. yes, at Galway Yes, we Baptist. did it at the
0: church, and um, we—for years— um, we had a, a lot of women um, from that congregation, from other congregations. You'd get a phone call, you know, out of the blue from somebody saying, "Somebody gave me your name, mm. and uh, and I need some help." Um, but yeah, we we operated that ministry out of that church for many years, and and uh, were able to help a lot of women.
1: So this was really interesting when you told us told us about it uh, last week. So on Sanctity of Life Sunday, mm-hmm. they'll. Tell what happened on Sanctity of Life Sunday. um, As
0: the ministry was um, rolling along and it was being, you know, it was helping a lot of people. um, Sanctity of Life Sunday rolls around again. And we decided to do something really to to just show everyone what, the again, what is the reality of abortion. Mm -hmm. So all of the women and men, we've had men come through the ministry as well, who um, had come through the ministry. We asked them to take a big... Card, and write their child's name on it. That's part of the ministry too, is praying through that, asking God to reveal the sex of your child and then naming your child and accepting that child into your family. You know, no more are you going to hide it. Mm -hmm. You're not going to not talk about it anymore. So we asked each of these individuals to put their child's name on a place card and to sit it next to them in the pew. And on that Sunday... There were place cards all over the sanctuary, mm. scattered, you know, in the front, in the back, in the choir loft, sitting next to the piano player, <laughs> everywhere throughout there. And it was just overwhelming right. to look at that and, and see this is who we're missing. Yeah. This is who we're missing. And, you know, that statistic that I mentioned before, the one in four, it was absolutely true mm. in that church. You know, Good Southern Baptist Church, yeah. absolutely true. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a, a visual that you can mm-hmm. get a hold of to kind of see what the effect has been. Right. Uh, how many mm-hmm. people are missing from the earth now right. because of that. Right. So that's kind of one of the, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about was my admiration, admiration for what you've done. I, I suppose you've got a couple of giftings that are similar to mine because of the fact that, um, uh, you kind of are a take charge type person. Yeah. So that's Unfortunately. <laughs> that, that leadership thing is ins- inside of you. And then there's probably a teacher somewhere inside of you, uh, because of the fact that you've, what you did, you know, a lot of times your, your gifts will manifest themselves in just how you react to things. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, when you took charge of your next birth and you said, listen, this is what we're going to do. You know, I've had a change in my life, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and we're going to take care of this. And mm-hmm. that's a that's a leadership thing. But then creating a whole syllabus manual and the program and instituting it and administrating it, it's just amazing. Because I know you've probably not taken the assessment yet, but it's just, I think it's, we're probably pretty similar because, I, you know, teaching and leadership and administration, that sort of mm-hmm.
0: thing. Yeah, I'm very much a lion,
1: I'll yeah. tell you that. Yeah. You know,
0: for... For good or bad, yeah. um, and we laugh sometimes. I'll, I'll, I'll think, okay, maybe what I'm lacking is a little bit of mercy in there. Because oh God, we're very much. Alike. You know, someone will come to me and say, "Oh, I'm just, I'm hurting, and I don't know what to do." And I'm like, "Okay, we need to do this, 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 mm-hmm. and this." And then, and then finally, God will say, "Give her a hug." Oh, oh yeah, oh
1: yeah, 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 oh yeah, 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 mm-hmm. come here. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. I Understand that? That's that's exactly way I am. Mm-hmm. But um, so. Interestingly enough, the teaching thing or the wanting to help educate people about an event, you're actually on the school board in I Princeton. I am. You were just recently reelected to the school board. I am. And um, serving there and helping to facilitate the education of our children in the city of Princeton. I say ours. I live in San Marcos, but <laughs> I'm, I lived here 15 years <laughs> before I moved. are children. Before I moved. And... Uh, So you do that, you've got a very successful career that you're involved in, and then your husband's mayor of the city. My wife the mayor. So so you know, it's amazing. What I wanted to point out was God can take someone that has has had in a moment of when you're not clear about what doing and you make decisions that affect your life, God can take those things and He can still take you to a place that you you never dreamed of, that you never
0: thought of. Absolutely. You know, I'm a firm believer. You know, I've I've made a lot of mistakes. I have. And I may have missed out on what was God's perfect plan for me. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't still have a great plan. Mm -hmm. You know, that if I will repent of what I've done and earnestly seek God's will, he can still give me fantastic things. Right. You know, I have four beautiful children. I have a wonderful husband that I adore. Mm-hmm. Um, we have grandchildren. I mean, its I, I have a really good life. Yeah. And I'm so grateful and so blessed. Right. And, yeah, you don't have to be trapped by your past mistakes. Right. And I think there's so many Christians out there, you know, sitting in the church pew every Sunday, who are just in bondage Mm -hmm. with past mistakes and with sin that they've just carried all this time. Because I know when I first started getting active in the church, you look around and you think, these people are perfect. (laughs) You know, they don't make mistakes. They're wonderful. And I'm a wreck. And I can't tell anyone because then, you know, they won't love me anymore. They won't accept me. The day that I went to, the pastor of that church, and told him what I was dealing with, that I had had an abortion. And there I was. I was the nursery preschool director. And I went to him, and I told him what I was dealing with, and I said, I may need to step down, because once the other parents find out, they won't want me in charge of their children. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, and he said, baby, They'll have to come through me first. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that he was Jesus to me that yeah. day. That's what Jesus says to us. Oh, yeah. They're going to have to come through me first. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we need. I mean, I think we all have to be willing to share mm-hmm. our flaws and share the mistakes that we've made because that's the only way other people are going to find any healing right. and any
1: restoration. Well, it's interesting. It's crazy how the enemy keeps us trapped in our failures mm-hmm. and things that we've done. We think that we can't get past it, that nobody will will accept us, nobody and so we stay in that bondage when all along if we will if we will confess that thing to the Lord and let him heal us through it and let people walk us through things, that that's when you start really living because you know if you're hiding this stuff in you know, at some point when you're holding stuff back, it's going to, I mean, it'll start affecting you physically. Right. It'll, that exactly. kind of thing will start affecting you physically. Exactly. Your whole emotional being, your mental well-being is going to be affected. So, it's, you know, if anybody's dealing with anything that you've held on to for so many years and think, well, it's just, it's so far gone and and nobody will, I don't want to tell anybody because it's, it's like, let the Lord deal with it. I mean, exactly. he, he can, it's, it's just phenomenal how he takes that, how he can take what you said, what the, devil meant for evil God take it in in scripture in Romans it says that God works all things together for the good he doesn't make everything good but he works all things together for the good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose and so he's in the background the things that really were going to were meant to destroy us the enemy tried to destroy our lives he knew you had potential he tried to destroy your life early on 17 years old and God says, "Oh, watch this! Watch what I can do when right. I have a, a repentant heart and someone that's life I can change and affect." And and it's not only them. Uh, that's he's so cool about that. He it's not only them that he restores, but when he restores somebody, it affects so many other people, and they can right. see that. And you and you're willing to testify about yeah. it. So
0: that's what I always share when I get the opportunity to give my testimony is that I do. I regret what I've done absolutely do i wish i had a different testimony do i wish my testimony was one of you know obedience and um you know accepting the lord at a very early age and following you know his 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 tr- really true will for my life i wish i had that but i don't uh i made other choices but that doesn't mean that he can't use me it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that i'm still not a child of his um, and my husband reminded me as I was preparing for my testimony, and I was telling him that part, and he said, oh, but you are righteous. Mm-hmm. God made you right. that perfect person. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, that's the testimony that I want to share is we're not perfect. We're right. not perfect. But real life Christianity is, is sharing, not being afraid, to share your flaws and share what you've done because this is what God has done mm. and how he's used them for his custom. Awesome. Cousin. Awesome.
1: Well, guys, I hope you were touched and ministered to by this. And uh, I'm so excited I got a chance to sit down. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe. Don't forget to share this. If this has really touched you, share it through your social media and let people know about it. That's how we can grow the podcast. And thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.